The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Hey, good morning, Harvest Bible Chapel, Barrie. It's uh, really, really great to see all of you here this morning. My wife Lynn and I have been uh, anticipating this uh, weekend and looking forward to being with you. We always look forward to getting back to what we consider our homeland. And uh, we think of it as a land flowing with Tim Hortons and Swiss Chalet. <laughs> and uh, always look forward to getting to both of those places uh, while we're here. Nothing like that in the United States. But uh, it's really, really good to be with Todd and Cheryl. And uh, it was fun just hearing him reflect on uh, uh, our past and the way God has led in both of our lives. We love them dearly. It's always really great to be with Todd and Cheryl. And uh, I remember that night and uh, that conversation and watching that relationship kind of develop. And there were times where we really kind of wondered if that was going to be moving forward and had to come alongside of Todd and say, don't do that. Don't say that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but what's really fun is to be uh, able to watch how God has uh, brought them together and used their lives and uh, brought them to this church and the uh, way God is using them to lead this church and minister to you. And uh, Todd and Cheryl are highly esteemed in our fellowship. They're great friends. We love them dearly. And it's uh, thank you for allowing us to come uh, this weekend. You have a pastor who loves you. And you have a pastor who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and loves to preach his word. You know, it's silly to think that you have to say that because you'd think most preachers love Christ and love preaching his word, but that's not always true. And so you're blessed to have the pastor that you do. And uh, the other reason we love coming here too is we love you, but uh, it's really great to be with our son, Jordan, and our daughter, uh, Roxy. And uh, we miss them dearly. We really do. But we're just really glad that they're serving Christ, that they're serving uh, him here. And uh, we really had a fun time this weekend being with them. And uh, we're just so excited the way God's using their lives. Uh, but as a mom and dad, and uh, when we miss uh, the distance between us, uh, it's just so good to know. And can I just thank you as a church on our behalf? Thank you for the way that you love them. Thank you for the way that you care for them. And uh, it's, we're just excited to see how God is using their life. So thanks to, uh, to you as a church for uh, the way you care for them. We're also really excited uh, about our partnership and in church planting. And uh, we were just up at Harvest U this week uh, with uh, about a thousand of our church family from the Canadian churches. It was our very first Harvest U in Canada, which was really cool. And uh, just celebrating what God is doing through church planting. It's really exciting. And uh, we thank you as a church for your partnership, your financial support in that, the way that, because we're really committed to planting, church planting churches, and you guys are modeling that, and you're doing that. And uh, we thank you for that, and uh, we, we're going to plant our 140th church uh, worldwide this year. Isn't that exciting? And uh, yeah, we're praise God for that. And that's something that we're, uh, we're really doing together, and I hope that you really have a strong sense uh, of that. But the other reason that we're here, of course, is to open up God's Word, and I'm looking forward to preaching to you this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, will you turn to Philippians chapter 3? Uh, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 17, 
and go through to chapter 4 in verse 1. And as you're turning in your Bibles, I want you to think about something with me. And it's this. Um, I was thinking this week, there's there's some things in our life that we can't experience until the future. Now think about that. There are some things in this life that we cannot experience until the future. Can you think of some of those things? I thought of a couple. Here's one that came to my mind really quickly. Uh, Retirement, right? Retirement, I saw some people immediately get excited about that when I said that word. All right, retirement. It's something, uh, you know, we start planning for early on in our life. We start thinking about it. We start saving for it. Uh, For some of us, it seems like that Uh, Like that time in our life is getting further and further away with our economy and all those kind of things. But retirement is something that we can't experience in many ways until the future. Oh, here's another thing I thought of, another example. Uh, Life insurance, isn't that exciting? Uh, Life insurance. And I remember as a young man and just after we got married. There was a guy that called me up and wanted to come over to our home and sat with Lynn and I at a table. And maybe you remember that experience and saying, hey, this is something you have to have. This is something you start paying for, you know, and it's something you never really kind of see and you hope you don't have to use it. To... But it's true, isn't it? Life insurance is often something that we really can't experience until the future. Well, I came here this morning to tell you that Uh, joy, true biblical joy, is not like that. And this should encourage you. True biblical joy is, yes, it is something that we'll experience one day perfectly when we see the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. We sang about that this morning, and I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to that. But here's the truth. The scripture tells us, and Paul is going to be telling us, that true biblical joy is something that we can experience and can be a reality in our life right now. Do you believe that? And look, it's not just when we're going through the good times in our life. Joy, the scripture tells us, is something that we can experience in our life even when we're going through some of the most painful, challenging times in our life. The title of the message this morning is called Future Joy Now. And I hope this uh, message will encourage your hearts with a great passage that the Apostle Paul wrote to us. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Let's just read this passage of scripture and uh, then we'll jump right into uh, our message this morning. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 17, Paul said this, Brothers, he's writing to believers, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. 
Now before we jump into this passage of scripture, if we're going to be talking about joy this morning, I think it's really important that we all understand when we use this biblical term, joy, what are we talking about, right? And so I brought a definition with me this morning, and uh, this could be defined in different ways, but this is one we use around our church. What is biblical joy? What was Paul talking about? It's this. It's a supernatural delight in the person of God, the people of God, and the purposes of God. That's what Paul meant when he used this word joy. Now let me just break that down a little bit. It's a supernatural delight. Supernatural means this is something that God wants to give to us. It's supernatural. He does it through his Holy Spirit. This is not something we kind of muster up on our own, but as we seek to apply God's truth and walk in obedience to it in our life, God wants to give us joy. So it's, it's a supernatural, oh, and then you come to this word, a delight. Now that's not a word we use a whole lot. It's a supernatural delight. What's the word delight mean? Well, it means this. Here's another word. It would mean extreme satisfaction. Isn't that amazing? As you go through good times in your life and even challenging, painful times in your life, God wants to give you through his Holy Spirit an extreme satisfaction. But in what? Now here it comes. Not in your circumstance. In the person of God. Who he is. How he's revealed himself to us in his word. His character. His attributes. The people of God. Us sitting right here in this room this morning. Isn't that a great thing? That God wants to use each one of us in ministering to each other, encouraging each other, and bringing joy into each other's lives. In the person of God, the people of God, and we can find extreme satisfaction in the purposes of God. Do you believe that? That's what we've got to keep our eyes focused on. What are God's purposes and plans for our life that he has revealed to us in his word. The result of that? Joy. Joy. And so here in these verses, Paul gives us, I believe there's five truths. He's really communicating to us five truths. You want to know true biblical joy, future joy now in your life? Apply these five truths to your life and you can know true biblical joy. Okay, Todd has already prayed for us. I should say, excuse me, Pastor Todd has already prayed for us. And so, um, uh, are you guys ready to jump into the word? Yeah. Just say it. Let's jump in. Okay. okay. Oh, I love that enthusiasm. All right. Okay, here's the first one. What's the first principle? You want to know true biblical joy? Paul says this, verse 17, pursue intentional imitation. Pursue intentional uh, imitation. You know this? Here, here's a, a, a truth that I have found. One of the most effective ways to learn a skill in your life is through imitation. Think about it. How did you learn to throw a ball? How did you learn to swing a bat? How did you learn, this is for Canadians, how did you learn to shoot a puck? How did you learn to do that? Well, if you were like me, you found someone who had mastered that skill, or certainly someone who was more skillful at it than you were, and what did you do? You went to them, they showed you how to do that skill, and then what did you do? You imitated, imitated, imitated it until you had it, until you could perform that skill. And Paul is saying to these Philippian believers, and listen, he's saying it to us today as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He's exhorting us to take this principle of intentional imitation and to apply it to the pursuit of Christ's likeness in our life. Now, some of you are sitting there going, okay, Rick, that sounds really great, but where are you getting that from? Well, look what Paul says in verse 17. Here's where it's coming from. He says this, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, there's a couple of key phrases there that gives us some insight uh, into this area of imitating. He says, first of all, you see, join in imitating me. Uh, The verb form there of that word means continuous action. Now, why is that important? How does that help us? This, it's continuous action. What Paul is saying is this idea of imitating others is not a one-time event in our life. It's to be continual. It's daily. It's weekly. It's monthly. It's something that I should be pursuing for a lifetime in my life. And then he says this. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That little phrase there, keep your eyes on, the word that means keep your gaze, keep your focus. Do you know what Paul is saying? He's saying, look, don't get distracted. Don't get your eyes on the wrong people and things in this area of imitation. Get your eyes, get your focus on people who are spiritually mature. People who are following the Lord Jesus Christ. People who are bearing the fruit of Christ's likeness in their life. Watch what they're doing and imitate them. Imitate them. Now some of you might be sitting there right now saying, okay, Rick, I get what you're saying, this whole principle of imitation, but what are the things that I should be looking for in people's lives that I want to imitate? And that's a great question. Could I just give you some suggestions? What would I be looking for? Here's some things. What are the priorities in that person's life? What is their walk with God like on a daily basis? How do they treat their wives, and their wife and kids? And uh, how do they respond to trials and adversity when it comes into their life? Watch what they're doing and imitate it. Can I give you an example of this? Have, uh, do you guys remember hearing this past year of these two guys out in Colorado who climbed this really, really steep mountain that nobody had ever climbed before? Uh, it was on the news, at least in the United States. I brought a couple of pictures of these guys. Now look at this. Like, some people think this is fun. <laughs> does that look like fun to you? Uh, that does not look like fun to me. That looks like craziness to me, but some people really enjoy doing this. And here are these two guys. Uh, their names were Kevin Jorgensen and uh, Tommy Caldwell. And uh, they took 19 days to climb to the top of this 3,000-foot granite wall called the Dawn Wall of Al Capitan in Yosemite National Park. And it was the steepest, tallest, blankest section of what they call the El Cap. Now, here's the crazy part to me. Uh, They used ropes and safety harnesses. Good idea. All right. Uh, To catch them in case they fell. But this is the thing. Listen to this. But they relied entirely on their own strength and dexterity to ascend this mountain by grasping cracks as thin as razor blades and as small as dimes. That's not fun. And they got to the top of the mountain. Now, 
I want you to think about this. Let's say, uh, you know, I was kind of inspired by these guys and I decided, I want to climb a mountain. I've never done that before. And I want to climb a mountain. Now, not a mountain like that, but something pretty steep and challenging. And so that's probably not sounding like a really good idea for me. And I would hope some of you would say, Rick, I think you're losing your mind. You're getting a little crazy. You might think about something else here. But what if I told you that uh, Ryan, one of these guys that were climbing, that he was going to lead me up the mountain. Would you start feeling just a little better about that? Right? And uh, so Ryan and I decided that next Saturday morning we picked the mountain and he's going to meet me at nine o'clock on Saturday morning. He told me to be at the bottom of the mountain and have all my climbing gear on. And so there it is Saturday morning and I'm all excited. I got my climbing gear on and I'm trying to kind of get used to the feel of it. And all of a sudden I hear this helicopter kind of flying overhead and I see somebody get out of the helicopter and they're standing at the top of the mountain and all of a sudden I realize it's Ryan and he's yelling down to me, hey Rick, come on up the mountain. The view is amazing up here. That wouldn't help me. That, that, I'm probably not going to get to the top of the mountain very safely. Would you agree with that? So rewind. So it's Saturday morning. It's nine o'clock. I got all my... Uh, climbing gear on but this time Ryan comes to the bottom of the mountain and he meets me and he's got his climbing gear on too and he looks at me and he says look Rick this is what we're going to do we're going to get to the top of this mountain I want you to latch your climbing rope onto me and I want you to put wherever I put my hands and wherever I put my feet I want you to put your hands and feet exactly there and I'm telling you Rick I will take you safely to the top of the mountain and do you see what the apostle Paul is communicating to us when you think of that picture that's exactly what he's challenging these Philippian believers and us to do as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ when he says imitate me He's saying, find a person who's more spiritually mature than you. Find that person who's bearing the fruit of Christ's likeness in their life. Tie your spiritual rope onto them and begin to do exactly what they are doing as they're pursuing the mountain of Christ's likeness in their life. Do you see that? I'm thankful for some people in my life that God has placed into my life who I've been able to follow like that and have brought, has brought growth and change into my life as I've sought to imitate them. Can I talk about two men like that in my life? The first one is Pastor James. As Todd said, I've worked alongside of him for the past 27 years. I've learned a lot about preaching and leadership and ministry as I've worked alongside of him and served with him. But probably one of the most impactful lessons that I've learned from him was just a couple of years ago when our church was under some real attack and he himself personally. And as I watched him choose to respond to those attacks with great humility and graciousness and the way that God empowered that and used that in his life and in our church, I went, I see that, I want to imitate that, and when I come under attack, and when the same thing happens to me, I want to respond in the same way. Here's another person, Ken Shaw. Some of you know that name. He's the director of Harvest Bible Fellowship. I've served with Ken for 15 years. He's one of our elders. He's a good friend of mine. One of the things that I've learned from Kent as I've watched his life 
is a strong foundation that he has of spiritual disciplines in his life. He's a man who's regularly in God's word. He's a man of prayer. He's a man who's put God's word, much of God's word to memory. And I see how that brings such a solid foundation and how he can apply that in his daily life. And I've, I've watched that and seen the fruit of that in his life. I decided I'm going to imitate that. I want that in my life. And I have sought to apply those same principles of discipline in my life. So here's the question. Let's make this really practical to us. So here's my two questions to you. Number one. So who's the person, people in your life that you've kind of latched your spiritual rope onto and that you're seeking to imitate the things that you see in their life as they follow the Lord Jesus Christ that you're seeking to apply to yours. Do you have those people? Could you name them? Here's the good news. If you're sitting there this morning and you could not think of those people, you could have those people in your life this week. This church has this thing called small groups. You see, the Christian life was never meant to be lived on my own in isolation. It was always meant to be done in a community of believers where we encourage each other and model to each other and hold each other accountable. You could be in a small group this week and have people in your life who are more spiritually mature, a man or woman, that you could begin to imitate what you see in their life as they follow Christ. But here's the second question I thought about, and this was uh, very convicting to me, and it was this. What if we had followed you around this week, and we watched your life, and we imitated the things that you were doing in your life? Would it have caused me to be closer to the Lord Jesus Christ? Would I be bearing the fruit of Christ's likeness, or would it have been moving me farther away from him? Loved ones, you want to know joy in your life? Future joy now? The Apostle Paul is saying, pursue intentional imitation. That's the first thing he says to us. Here's the second thing. Here's the second point I see. You want to know future joy now? He says, avoid worldly influences. Avoid worldly influences is right there in verses 18 and 19. We'll look at them in a sec. But here's what I would just say to us. The Apostle Paul is very fired up about this whole theme and principle of imitation. Do you see that? He just took one verse, verse 17, to talk about it in a very positive way. Now he's going to take two more verses, verses 18 and 19, to again address this whole topic of imitation. But this time, in verses 18 and 19, he's giving us as believers a warning. He's saying, listen, listen, you're not just supposed to just imitate anyone there's some people in this world who are going in the exact opposite direction of the way that we want to be going, which is Christ-likeness. He's saying, warning, don't imitate those people. If you want to know joy in your life, make sure you're imitating and watching the right people. In fact, here's what Paul says. He's, he goes on, he says this. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Wow. When I read that, I thought, that's a harsh term. Enemies of the cross of Christ. So I thought to myself, wow, that's, that's, that's a tough phrase. I, I wouldn't want that to be said about me. So who's Paul talking about here? Who are these enemies of the cross? Well, bottom line, it's this. 
These were people who had never for themselves embraced what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, the very thing that we have sung about in worship this morning. The one who paid the penalty for our sin, who laid down his life for us, who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. These people have never truly embraced him as their Lord and Savior. Here's the other thing. I don't think these were just people out there. I think Paul's going to make it very clear that these were people, I believe, that he knew. And these Philippian believers knew. In fact, I believe these were people who had one time been in their church. These were people who had claimed that they loved Jesus, that they were followers of Jesus too. But by their very life, as they have been watching their lives, Paul's saying, they're not believers, don't imitate them. In fact, he's going to give us some characteristics of their life that demonstrated that. But there's a point here, church, that we don't want to miss, and it's this. People aren't Christians because they say they're Christians. Do you understand what I'm saying? People aren't followers of Jesus just because they tell you they are. There's lots of people, maybe even in this church, as, as in our church in Chicago, who would say, if you ask them, they'd say, oh, I love Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. But by their life and characteristics, they're not. And that's what Paul is saying. Jesus was very clear in the New Testament saying this. We're followers of Jesus, not because we prayed a prayer, not because we walked to the front of a church and prayed some. We're believers. We can have that confidence because our life is giving continual evidence. It's bearing the fruit that my heart has been changed, that I'm serving a new master, that the Lord Jesus Christ is in charge of my life and my life is giving evidence. That's how I know I'm a believer. So Paul goes on, he says, there's some people here, you want to know joy, there's some people that you don't want to imitate, and he's giving four characteristics. Watch out for these people. Do you see them? Here they come. He says, first of all, their God is their belly. Do you see that? That's one of the characteristics that they're not followers of him. Their God is their belly. Another word for belly there is their God is their body. Their God is their body. I just wrote down the word here. He's talking about their passions. When you watch their life, what are their passions about? Their desires. He's talking about here. Their wants. What, what, what's that about? Well, they're not looking to God to fulfill those things. They're not, uh, they're not finding those needs met in his word. They're looking to this world to meet those things. They'll never be met. They'll always be unsatisfied. Their God is their uh, belly. Thank you very much. The second thing he says is their glory is their shame. Their glory is their shame. You know what the word is here? I just wrote down the word. Now he's talking about pride. He's talking about pride. You know, I don't have to tell you this. We're living in a world, in a society where, where at one time, sinful things were kind of at least kept secretive and a little more, people were a little bit ashamed of those kind of things. Not in Paul's day and not in our day today. Things that once were kind of covered up and kept secret are now celebrated and promoted. And not only are they celebrated and promoted, when you try to confront people in a loving way and say, but this is what God's word says, they say, I don't care what God's word says. I think this is right. I'm going to do this in my life. Do you know what I'm talking about? The glory in their, in their shame. Here's the third thing Paul says. Their mind is set on earthly things. I just wrote down the word, the priorities in their life. What are their priorities? Well, their mind is set on earthly things. They're not thinking about heaven. They're not, they're not thinking and driven by the day that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for my life. They're not storing up treasures in heaven. Their life is about the here, the now, and what I can get and what I can gather. My security is found in what I can build, 
Not in the Lord Jesus. And here's the last thing Paul says. This is really sad. Because if this is the characteristics of their life ongoing, he says what? Their end is destruction. It's sad. Their end is destruction. I just wrote down, now he's talking about the place. They're going to hell. They'll be separated from God for eternity if they never turn to him. I love how Paul says this. Do you know what he goes on and he says? He says, and now I tell you, even with tears. What was Paul's response as he thought about these people? People that he knew himself. What was his response? Ah, they're going to get what they deserve. You know, I'm glad they're going to kind of get that. You know, he says, I tell you with tears. When these people received this letter that Paul was writing to them, it was stained with his tears as his heart was broken and he had a heart of compassion for these people who had turned their backs on the gospel. And what I'm saying to us, church, is we should have the same response. A heart of compassion. Our heart should be broken for lost people. But here's a question when we're thinking about imitation. So how should we respond? How do we respond to them? Well, Paul says, don't imitate them. Here's what he's telling us. We should imitate Christ to them. So how do we do that? I just jotted down some practical things. Number one, pray for them. Pray for lost people. Do you know some people like that in your life? Do you pray for them? Do you pray that they would come to know Christ? Here's the second thing. Witness to them. Witness to them. Look for opportunities when God opens that door. Don't be obnoxious about it, but be bold about it. When God gives me the opportunity, I'm going to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ and the difference he's made in my life. Here's the third thing. Be Christ to them in practical ways. Do we pray and ask God, give me that opportunity. How can I love on that person? Show the love of Christ and the difference he's made in my life to them. Maybe it's a listening ear. Maybe it's just loving them. Maybe it's serving them in practical ways. Here's the last thing. Be a clear model of Jesus Christ to them. They, you may be the only example of Christ that they ever see. Be a clear model of what Jesus Christ is as we walk through this life. Listen, loved ones, you want to know true joy in your life? Paul's saying, avoid worldly influences. Is it possible that someone right here this morning who would call themselves a follower of Jesus Christ would be looking for something other than him and the promises of his word to somehow fulfill some need in your life? Can I warn you, believer, it's empty, it's unsatisfying, and it could bring painful consequences into your life. You can find joy only in him. Here's the third thing Paul says. You want to know uh, joy in your life? He says, comprehend eternal identification. Paul says we must comprehend our eternal identification. He says this in verse 20. You see what Paul goes on? He says, he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. Don't you love that? He's reminding us about a really important thing, but our citizenship is in heaven. Can I just say a little phrase to you? I want you to think about this, and it's this. Listen, heaven isn't just a destination. It's our identity. Think about it, believer. Heaven isn't just our destination. It's our identity. Heaven isn't just a destination. It's a place. It's real. It's our hope. Are you looking forward to going there? 
You should be. I'm fired up about it too. But listen, heaven is way more than that. It's not just something we dream about and look forward to. Heaven is our identity. Our master lives there. The one who's changed us and redeemed us. The one that we're going to see one day. And listen, because of that truth, it should affect the way I live right now. Heaven isn't just our destination. It's our identity comprehend our eternal identification. You see, when Paul said to these Roman believers in Philippi, when he used that phrase, but we are citizens of heaven, I'm telling you, these Philippian believers understood this concept of citizenship. Can I tell you why? Because Philippi was actually a Roman colony. That's where these people were living. And these believers and unbelievers, many of them there were actually Roman citizens. And I'm telling you, their citizenship meant everything to them for two reasons. The first reason is because, because this citizenship was so important to them, they would never want to say or do anything that would bring embarrassment and shame back on Rome and Caesar where their citizenship was found. Do you understand? And when you think about that, should we be any different believers as citizens of heaven? That we would never want to say or do anything in our life here on this earth that would reflect and bring embarrassment and shame on our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us heavenly citizenship through his death on the cross. But here's the second thing they understood about citizenship. Citizenship brought benefits with it. If you were a Roman citizen, citizenship brought benefits with it. Can I just tell you of a couple that they would experience? If you were a Roman citizen, here's three things that it brought into your life. Uh, you could own land. Only Roman citizens could own land. That was a great benefit to citizenship. Number two, as a Roman citizen, you could vote. You had the ability to vote in their elections. And here's the third thing. As a Roman citizen, you were a priority under the law. The law protected you. It prioritized you. I'm telling you, citizenship had great benefits. Lynn and I can kind of relate to that in a small way. Um, back in 2006, don't get angry when I say this. But back in 2006, it seemed like the Lord was not bringing us back to Canada. And so uh, Lynn and I took the step of becoming American citizens. And, uh, okay, thank you. One person's kind of happy about that. I appreciate that. And, uh, uh, um, and so it was quite a process. And I'm telling you, I couldn't believe all the forms and paperwork we had to fill out and we had to get interviewed and we had to even take a test that you have to pass. And of course, the government wants to get their hand in there. And so it cost us something to do that. And I remember the day that we stood at the courthouse and we became American citizens. But I'm telling you that to say this. Citizenship brought some benefits to Lynn and I. Can I tell you again a few of them? Number one, we could vote. For the, I remember the very first time as American citizens we got to vote in the elections. Number two, you know what? As American citizens, even though we weren't born in the United States, it, it, we had all the same rights and privileges as people who were born in that country. We, we get the same rights and privileges. It's a great benefit. But here's the third thing. By becoming United States citizens, we got a United States passport, which meant traveling in and out of the country was much easier. Now, why am I telling you all that? It's to make this simple point, and it's this. Listen, loved ones. Are you a citizen of heaven? 
Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in him? You know what Paul is reminding you and why this brings joy to our life? Because citizenship has benefits to it. And as we seek to imitate the Lord, uh, others who are imitating Christ, and as we seek to avoid worldly influences, you know what Paul says? Sometimes that's really hard and challenging and difficult. And one of the benefits of citizenship is he gives us some things that help us in that cause and what we're pursuing in imitating. Can I give you some of the benefits? I could give you a long list that the scriptures give us, but could I give you just four benefits that he brings to citizens? Here they are. Here's one of them. He promises us his wisdom. Isn't that a great benefit? Uh, God promises us that he'll give us his wisdom. In James chapter one, verse five, we find that. So as we're going through our everyday life, isn't this great to know that God gives us his wisdom, that I can apply his word, his truth into difficult situations so I can apply his wisdom and make good decisions and avoid painful consequences in my life. Here's another benefit. God promises us his strength. Aren't you thankful for that? God promises you his strength. In Psalm chapter 28, verse seven, I don't know about you, but sometimes as I'm seeking to imitate those who are imitating Christ, it's not easy, it's hard. God calls us sometimes to do difficult things. I go, God, this is hard, this is difficult. I don't know if I can do that. And God says, you can do that, not in your own strength, but I will give you the strength to be obedient in that situation. Aren't you thankful for that? What a great benefit. Here's another one. Another benefit of citizenship is God promises us his peace. His peace. In Philippians chapter four, verse seven, just the next chapter, we find that. Maybe there's somebody sitting right here this morning. And this is the benefit maybe that you just need to be reminded of. Maybe you're going through a really challenging, difficult, painful situation. You're not sure of the outcome. And God says, listen, this is one of the benefits of citizenship. You can move on. You can trust me. I'm going to give you my peace. Well, what is peace? It's this. It's the calm assurance that what God is doing is best. God, even when I don't see it, even when I don't understand, even when... he gives us his peace. Here's the fourth benefit I just jotted down. Wisdom, strength, peace, I love this one. God promises his presence. His presence. Exodus chapter 33, verse 14. Aren't you thankful for this? When the evil one wants to come along and make you think that God's not there, he doesn't care, he doesn't love you, isn't it good to remind ourselves that the truth is that I'm never out of his sight. He's always aware. He sees every detail. He's always at work. His presence, he's walking through it with me. He promises his presence. Listen, loved ones. Do you want to know future joy now? Grab your eternal, eternal identification. Here's the fourth thing Paul says. You want to know future joy now? He says, anticipate Radical transformation. Man, I just love this one. He says, anticipate radical transformation. Look at verse 20 and 21. He goes on, he says this. Uh, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now I'm telling you, loved ones, I don't know about you, but I read that verse and that fires me up. How about you? 
That that's what we're looking forward to. That one day, Jesus Christ, he's coming back. He's going to receive those who are his true followers. And what's he going to do? He's taking us with him. We're going to be in heaven. And he's going to change us. And we are going to be like him. Does that fire you up this morning? Does that fill your heart with joy? That no matter what we are going through, good or bad, it's only temporary. One day, I'll be in eternity with him. Now, we could close our Bibles right now. I could. And I could just say, let's just pray. Let's just go out on that truth. And that could fire me up for this week. How about you? You're not very convinced, are you? Thank you. One person. Me and you, buddy. Okay. This is why this is so encouraging. Because Paul in this one, these couple of verses is telling you some amazing truths that are coming. That we are looking forward to. And he's going to tell us, what Jesus is going to do. He's telling us how he's going to do it in our life. But here's the other thing Paul says, who's going to do it? He tells us who's going to do it. Have you ever, um, he says, we eagerly await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Have you ever longed to see someone that you've been missing? I remember going through that, and this is a very simple illustration, but I remember last summer, uh, my wife, Lynn, went to see a friend of hers in uh, Kodiak, Alaska. And uh, she went with another lady from our church, and they were going to fly out for a week and uh, spend some time together. And I remember she got ready, and, and I remember the day as it came, and I took, drove Lynn to the airport and dropped her off. I remember hugging her and kissing her and, you know, uh, just like, have a great time. And I remember kind of driving away from the airport after she got onto the plane and thinking... Hey, this is kind of the single life all over again. I, I kind of forgot what that was like. And, you know, kind of thinking like, I can do what I want. I can do when I want to do it. I can eat what I want and when I want to. And I remember becoming on, with a, on a first name basis with a guy at, the dri- at Wendy's at the drive through window. And, <laughs> and that was fun for about three days. And then my heart really started to, I was missing her, but really starting to miss Lynn. And I really looked forward to those phone calls and talking to her. And when are you coming back again? And when can I see you? And just really longing for the day when she was back and with me. And well, why did I miss her so much? Well, that's simple. Because I loved her. And because we have a relationship and she's normally a part of my everyday life. Why was Paul reflecting on the Lord Jesus Christ saying, we eagerly wait our Savior? Why was he longing for him? The same reason, hopefully, that you're longing for him. Because we love him. Because we have a relationship with him. Because he's a part of our everyday life. But listen, Before Paul could get to the what he's going to do and how he's going to do it, Paul wanted us as believers to feel confident about the who's going to do it. He doesn't want you to miss this. So do you see how he lists his full name there? He says, we await a savior. Then he says this, the Lord Jesus Christ, because these three terms are going to bring confidence to that he's going to be able to do what about he says and promise he's going to do. So can I just highlight those names because they're communicating some really important truths. He says, the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does he write down Lord? Because the word, the term Lord, his name, that's communicating his power. 
Aren't you thankful for that? It's the Lord who's coming back. And you know what? That's communicating his power and that he's in control, that he's in charge, and there's never any obstacle can ever stand in the way of Jesus Christ accomplishing his purposes in your life and in mine. He's all-powerful. That's what he's reminding us. He says, Lord, oh Jesus. What's that communicating? That's reminding us of his provision The Lord Jesus, his provision. Yes, it's reminding us of the ultimate provision of our salvation and that that has come through Christ, the forgiveness of our sins. But listen, it's more than that. His provision is going ongoing on a daily basis. He's changing and transforming our lives. That's why he saved you, not just to give you a ticket to heaven, but he wants your life to bring glory to him as it is more and more reflecting him more clearly. And he's in that process now. And I hope you're experiencing that and believing that one day he's gonna complete it perfectly when I see him. The Lord Jesus, oh, here's the last word, Christ. You know what that emphasizes? That emphasizes his promises. And God has made some promises to us in his word. And I trust as you're seeking to apply them and live them in your life, that it's building a confidence that, yes, I see that he's a God who is faithful to his promises here in my life. And he will be faithful to do the very thing that he's promised one day in the future when I see him. That's the who's going to do it. So why should that fire up? Because it's what he's going to do. Look what he's going to do. It says he's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Okay, loved ones, anybody here got a lowly body? Anybody here? Yes, yes, all of us. Yeah, we got lowly bodies. You know, every morning I get reminded that I got a lowly body. It's getting older. It's getting weaker. It doesn't heal as quickly. It's kind of, I don't like getting older. But do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying, the Lord Jesus is going to transform this lowly body into his glorious body. Now listen, loved ones. It's just not going to be a better version of us. Get this clear. It's not just a better version of us. It's going to be like him. It's going to be like his. And what does that mean for us? Here's just three areas that I jotted down. Why should that fire us up? Because there's going to be no more sin In the whole area of sin, listen, no more sin, no more defeat, no more temptation, no more addiction, no more bondage, no more anger, no more hatred, no more failure, no more regrets. Why? Because I'm going to be like him. Oh, here's, thank you. Here's another thing. You should be getting fired up about this. This brings joy to our life. Listen, no more suffering. Think about this. No more pain. No more surgery. No more wheelchairs. No more chemo. No more disease. No more depression. No more hospitals. No more funeral homes because we are going to be like him. And then here's the third thing. Think about this. No more separation. No more. No more waiting. We will be with him. We will be like him. We will worship him. And we will spend eternity with him. But not only that, that is the most important. But think about this too, loved ones. Think about some who've gone on before you, who are followers of him, who've loved him. Maybe those that you were imitating, that one day you are going to see them again. And you're going to be like them too. They're going to be like him as well. And we will spend eternity together worshiping our great God. That should bring joy to your life. That, okay. Okay, wait, wait. That's the who, that's the what. And this is what I love. How is he going to do it? How is he going to do it? 
And he goes on, he says this, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You know what that means? This idea of subject, it's the power and ability to put everything in its proper place. That's who Jesus is. He's got the power and the ability to put everything in its proper place. Now listen, loved ones, I'll just give you an example. So the one who spoke everything that we see, he spoke it into existence. The one who's holding all the planets in their proper place, the one who spoke the stars into existence, listen, loved ones, he's gonna do all that we just talked about with his feet up. It's no problem for the Lord Jesus. He's gonna do it with ease. Aren't you thankful for that? And when we think on that truth, the result of that is future joy now. Okay, there's one more point. It's very quick and it's this. You want to know future joy now? Stand in faithful resolution. Stand in faithful resolution. And this is verse one where Paul goes on. He says this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Don't you love that part? Paul's thinking about believers. These believers, he calls them my joy and crown. One day I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus and one of the things I'm going to celebrate are people who are in heaven because God's allowed me to be an impact on their life. He's worked through me and they've come to know Christ and they're going to be there too. Is that going to be fantastic? That brings us great joy. But listen, loved ones, it's not only that. There's another piece to that. Think about the people that you've never opened up your mouth to, people you've never even met. But listen, this is true. People who are watching you, they know you're a follower of Christ. Maybe it's a person in your office. Maybe it's a person in your community. Maybe it's a person you'll meet one time. And God, if if we're faithful, if we will stand firm in our faith, if we will continue to follow the Lord Jesus, that God may use our life as even as we're just modeling what a follower of Christ is all about, that God will use us as as a seed that's planted in their life that will lead them one day to salvation and one day they will be in heaven too. Is that fantastic? So listen, loved one, here's the point. So stand firm in your faith. Some of us right now maybe are being tempted to do something really foolish and stupid that's contrary to God's word, that could have a negative impact, not only in our life, but those who are watching us. Loved ones, you want to know future joy now? Paul says, stand firm in your faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for how practical it is in our life. I pray that this won't be something we just talk about and think about but that joy is truly a reality in our life. Change us, Lord, we would pray. Make us more like you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.